The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. What are the most successful change leaders of today doing that makes them stand out? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is this week's host. Hi, Mike. Hi, Kirsten. Well, my amazing partner... Here we are, doing our last show of 2016. I've been thinking a little bit about how, A, we had no idea what it was going to be like to do this show, and um, B, how, as you said so eloquently, we really have been learning to learn out loud with each other, and um, just how much that's, that's a process, like a lot of the work we do in coaching and leading. And um, just how, how wonderful it has been to do it with you. And the conversations that we have before the show are so incredible that we sometimes say, um, man, we hope, that, we hope the audience actually gets something out of this too. <laughs> uh, exactly. I, you know, what I appreciate about this whole concept is just how layered and nuanced um, it always becomes, right? It reminds me of the old, I guess, I think it's a Hindu um, myth where a child asks an elder, like, what, what holds the world up? And the answer is, well, it's held up on the shoulders of elephants. And the child asks, well, what holds the elephants up? Well, they're held up on the shoulders of other elephants. And it's actually elephants all the way down. And that's what we find in this process as we dive into these letters, and I love that. Uh, thank you for bringing up the image of me as an elephant. That's always kind of where I go when I stand in front of a mirror, as any woman will understand. Um, so um, here we are. We are Mike McGinley and Kirsten Olson, and we are honored to be here once again as guest hosts for the Institute of Transformational Leadership's weekly podcast. And this is our year-end Coaching Sugar Show, Real Compassionate Coaching Advice and leadership advice served up straight. Yes, and as always, a shout-out to the Georgetown Institute for Transformational Leadership's mission to create a worldwide community of leaders and coaches committed to enlightened and compassionate leadership. We're all about that. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you plan your listening life for 2017, keep in mind all the shows that we've got in the archives at Inside Transformational Leadership. It's all free for your listening, and some of the most interesting minds in coaching and leadership are on offer here. Yeah, and astonishingly, we get to play in that space too, right? Um, 
Yeah, so just, again, a quick shout-out to to the inspiration for our show, which is Dear Sugar, the advice podcast currently on NPR, which is uh, really wonderful. Yeah, and, and just like them, at the show here, we're trying to offer responses to coaching and leadership dilemmas that are not just about giving the right answers with a bunch of certainty and authority, but we're trying to be more about truthful, thoughtful, compassionate, heartful responses based on our own coaching and leadership lives. So we hope that's mm. helpful to you. Yeah. And if you have any responses to what we're doing here, or want to send us your own letters at our very own Gmail address, thecoachingsugars at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we are hoping to be back again in 2017. Yes. So let's get started. Today's theme is a big one. Um, We call this one compromises, earning a living and being the coach I want to be. And we want to start with a great letter from an experienced coach, who's wrestling with whether or not to let go of a fat coaching contract that also has some big downsides to it. Yeah. We have been there. Okay. Dear Coaching Sugars, thank you for creating the space to discuss things that so often happen, happen to us as coaches, and no matter how long we've been coaching, they catch us unprepared for how to react to them. I come today with a question I would appreciate your point of view on. I coach executives. For the last five years, I have been coaching at a large company that gives me a lot of individual clients. At some moments, this portfolio represents a really large portion of my income. The clients are offered the coaching as a segue to promotion or, in some cases, as an attempt to retain them as employees. The environment on the client side is extremely fast-paced. Many people strive for balance between work and personal life. Most of these people work 60 to 80 hours per week. Recently, two out of the three clients I currently coach in this company have simply forgotten meetings, canceled numerous times at the last minute, and sometimes I don't hear back from them for months despite many attempts to contact them. I question whether I should simply fire these clients as they are not committed to the coaching they signed up for. Yet I worry that if I fire these clients, I will see a significant drop in my income, so I keep postponing the decision. I was paid in full for these clients, but I do not feel right about continuing to coach them or receive payment if they don't show any commitment. Additionally, I'm concerned about my reputation as a coach. I have an open dialogue with the responsible person on the client side, and he fully understands what I can and cannot do as a coach. He is also aware of the fact that I will not constantly chase clients if they disappear from the calendar. That said, I do contact them two or three times before handing them back over to him. When I confronted one of the no-shows recently, He told me he felt really bad for all the time between the sessions and would like to give it another shot, but his pattern of behavior persists. He keeps canceling. Thinking ethically, I should let these clients go right away. Thinking from a business perspective, however, I will be saying goodbye to an income my business depends on. I find 
But over the long run, this array of clients who don't show up can be depressing. I feel like I'm not growing as a coach when I go out there when I'm all ready for the game and it's an empty playing field. It's as if I'm in an echo chamber. Can you two give me some your perspective? Thank you, Torn. Hmm. Here's a letter that stabs me right in the heart. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, Kirsten, as we received this, we were so grateful. And um, I think, I think the issue that Torn tees up is more common than we think, right? I know it's, yeah. I know it resonated for me loud and clear, and it did for you as well. Um, so hopefully we can do this um, some service by k- kicking it around a little bit. Yeah. Um, and since I got stabbed in the heart, I'm going to go right for the jugular here. Um, there was language towards the end of this letter. Um, this writer used the word depressing, and yeah. I'm a big believer that language is never innocent. So um, mm. a word like that isn't just thrown around without some thought. And so I think it gives this issue a lot more gravity than meets the eye. Um, and so, that, you know, for me, this is not just about the financial implications that are at stake. And, and, and I don't mean to discount those. Those are very real and can be confounding, right, the financial implications of... Um, a tough decision like this. But I think it's also about sense of self for this coach. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know it has been for me when I've been confronted with similar situations. And so, um, I don't know, I think think when the situation of a non-responsive client presents, it forces us us to confront some of our coaching gremlins, right? We've got all the obvious ones around whether we're good enough or our coaching is valuable enough or we're smart enough, are we sufficient? Um, but I think worse than that, we're confronted at some level about issues like purpose and the meaning in our work. And heck, it, it can even spark the deepest human fears of whether we're loved enough. Mm. Mm. So, sweetie, before I respond to that, I want to make sure your heart is okay. <laughs> it's beating. <laughs> I'm here, so please proceed. Here we go. Quick reco- rapid recovery as we know you to have, uh, Mr. McGinley. Yeah, so I'm, I'm just, I'm hearing um, exactly the same things, and I think that's why this, the letter really kind of stopped us both in our tracks, mm-hmm. which is, A, we have all been there, and we really can relate to it, is this um, kind of retainer, fee paid, and then light use of the, co- the coaching pack- package. And so underneath, and I do want us to spend a little bit of time on the financial issues and the reputational ones, which are very, very real, but I think that in terms of this kind of larger theme of what we're trying to be in today, compromises, it really does bring up for me also this sense that I think Torn is expressing, which is when we as coaches are in some kind of compromised place around our own integrity or and kind of maybe haven't gotten to the heart of what that is, it does bring up, as you say, these kind of gremlins around what is the meaning and the value of my work and kind of where do I see myself going as a coach? Like what's my developmental path? So, you know, I I just found myself just thinking too about one of my mentors who talks about uh, vocation the sense of 
our work more than kind of what we get paid to do and what we tell people that we do, but really that vocation is about this sense of hearing our deepest calling in our work and hearing what we are put here to do. And so I think the turn is a bit in that what happens when we're kind of pulled away from that and we have this moment where we have to get centered in ourselves and say, really, who am I? What, what is an integral move here? And can I ask for integrity from my clients, which I think is our critical purpose um, in many ways in our coaching, if I am not holding myself with the highest integrity. So, so I guess that's what I hear. And just, you know, that for me, the image of going to the field and it's empty is pretty poignant. And also that a lot of, a lot of us, a lot of our colleagues um, are solo practitioners. And when you're in this kind of question, who do you talk about it with? So, so I just, you know, all, I, all those things occurred to me. And I think it's kind of worth digging in on them. Yeah, a beautiful invitation, partner. Um, I, I really love this notion of being in integrity, and, and there's a there's an, there's this concept of the modeling that we do um, as coaches for for the leaders that we work with. And back to Torn's letter, um, as I listen to what you're saying, Kirsten, it strikes me that perhaps part of this is about values alignment. And I guess I'll say it this way. Um, in any difficult situation, I think the right answer is to true up to what we most care about or our values. Mm-hmm. And that makes the sticky kind of unsolvable equations feel much more workable when when they're in alignment with things that we care about. And I think what makes things tough is when we're not as clear as we could be. And this might be a situation of that. So, for example... Um, but there's a time and place to be about the money that we can make, right? right. And, and there's no shame in that, and there's no apologies necessary. Right. So when uh, Bobby needs a new set of braces and I'm the means to, to delivering that, then I think it's perfectly acceptable to have some agita around the, po- mm-hmm. the potential loss of income through, through a coaching client, right? Because that's the value that's front and center today, right? right. And if the value is something other than that, like... You know, I'm always going to true up to, you know, being a model of courage and, uh, and transparency for the people around me. Then I think that warrants a different response from a coach like Torn. But yeah, and I think what I read in this letter is maybe a little drifting of, I'm not sure which value set to true up to in this case. And that's mm-hmm. what's making this feel extra difficult. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that's so yes, right on, right on. Absolutely. If um, if you have to pay your mortgage and your family depends on your income, then you have to make decisions based on that. And then I just also want, do want to say to affirm that piece, the reputational piece is also very real. And I think that Torn is, you know, very legitimate in being concerned about that. Um, and that if that's, you know, maybe Torn is in some way um, writing 
to bring this issue front and center for Torn? What really is at stake? And we don't know that based on the letter. Um, but it sounds like there are deeper things there, like, you know, um, w- what does really powerful and gratifying work look like for me as a coach? Mm-hmm. Am I on some kind of path to achieving that? Um, what are my growthful ambitions as a, as a coach for myself and with whom and to whom am I accountable? Sort of how do we feed our professional soul? And, you know, again, since a lot of us are solo practitioners, those questions at this, for many of us, lie within. And I really do, you know, as you would say, take a pretty hard line on that, which is to say that um, we must hold ourselves to pretty high standards of integrity or we cannot ask that of our clients. And however we're showing up to ourselves is also how we are going to inevitably show up to our clients. There's a very direct relationship between those two things. So Torn, you know, write in exactly what Torn needs to be in, and I would say to Torn, like, um, get closer in. Move closer into that. And Kirsten, we've got about a minute or so before we go to break. Um, what could you expand on? What what feels actionable about get close in, get closer in? What does that really look like? Yeah, so I would say to Torn, and I'm gonna again. You know this, buddy. You're gonna have to. I'm gonna say exactly. Ask you exactly the same question. For me, this is really, you know, a deep question of saying what. What do I believe I am trying to achieve as a coaching professional? So, and, and then um, how am I achieving those things? So what, what are the values that I, am, that I am, my deepest values that I am serving in this work? And do I understand what they are? And how are they showing up in the professional decisions that I'm making? Sometimes moment to moment and more often much more globally. Yeah, and as you say, um, a lot easier in that conversation, um, literally with another person or a group of people, than it is to do that work. Yeah, um, in solitude with ourselves, right? That's right. It can become, I think, rumination if we're holding it um, just internally, not get not getting it into some light and air. Things can get a little skanky in there. <laughs> All right, so we're going to continue kicking this one around uh, and making this one as practical and actionable as we can when we get back from the break. Join us then. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders 
and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer four cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, the Certificate in Health Coaching, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education and leadership courses for experienced leadership coaches and leaders at all levels. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. So we're Mark McGinley and Kirsten Olson, the Coaching Sugars, and we were just talking about how to. What what do we do when we feel ourselves possibly in a compromised place as our first letter writer torn described eloquently around a fat coaching contract? And so, Mike, I'm gonna just put this put this to you a little bit is have you had an, a time in your life recently where you felt like Something isn't quite right here in a professional decision that I'm making. And how did you know that? What did that feel like? Yeah, it's, I think it's a great question. And um, I don't know what language to use around that. I, I, one thing I take pride in is I think I do have a pretty well-honed, um, you know, spidey sense, if you will, of just the sense of um, not being in flow or not being in equilibrium. Like things just don't feel quite right. And so I think for me that's that's where the value lies is is in realizing that this doesn't feel right. Um, and then I start asking myself a series of questions, right? So I'm a believer that um, if there's dissonance or if there's disequilibrium or whatever you want to call it, then that me- that necessarily means that something's out of alignment. And I might express that as soul alignment for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, that's yeah. helpful terminology for me is to think I'm, I'm drifting too far astray from, you know, what my soul wants for me. And so I just yeah. kind of start this series of, you know, sometimes self questions and sometimes engaging other people in, in that series of questions. I'm like, well, this is what looked attractive about it. Here's how it went down. Here's how it reacted to some of the forks in the road. And that's when I started noticing the dissonance and, um, it's, Typically, I'm able to um, shed some light on on values I hold. And what I was alluding to earlier before the break is like sometimes I don't like those answers. Right? Yes. The evidence is that I value something Beautiful. that I thought I no longer valued as heavily. Um, but Beautiful. yet there's evidence to the contrary. And so that's that starts a whole reconciliation process for me. Um, and I love to be in that conversation with others, and you and I have been in conversations like that, Kirsten, and that's always incredibly valuable to me. So that's the thing. It's knowing when you're off-center and starting a process, whatever that process needs to be, of 
screwing up. What's what's your new reality? I love that. I think that's just absolutely beautifully put. What that brought to mind for me is something like, um, this is um, a large thing, but um, having been brought up in a family that tremendously admired academic achievement, and for me, after you know getting a doctorate and beginning that path and realizing that um, this was just not aligned with what I continue, what I deeply, deeply value and care about, and that I had to find a way to recraft and repurpose the work that I was doing. And that meant letting go of a lot of very high status things. And, um, and then also this noticing around what happens when we are engaged in work that is really in alignment with our deepest values, how much of a sense of flow and clarity and ease we can have around those, which is not to say they're without difficulty or challenge, but there's, it's almost as if they have a wellspring of power because we are in some way in alignment with what we most deeply care about. And I think that that's, you know, we're, we've gotten very global um, here, but I just have a sense that Torn may be in a question like that, is what does this fat contract represent to Torn? And if it is not absolutely central to making the mortgage and feeding the children, then is there a way, and even if it is, um, then to begin to think about how, what needs to happen to address this feeling of going on to the field and it's empty? What does Torn need to do to begin to populate that field for yeah. themselves? Yeah, lovely imagery. Um, and so, yeah, let's, let's make this more granular around the letter because mm-hmm. this, this letter yeah. writer asked what, what is the conversation they should be having. And... Yeah. You know, Kirsten, you know me. I'm always eager to jump into the opening um, that, that clients create. And, and I think right. this letter writer's clients have created lots of openings for them. And, um, you know, I love the potential to make the record skip, right? Make some kind of move that, that kind of, you know, makes the clients, makes their record skip, right? Break, breaks yeah. the coherence of, You're so of good the rap at that. that they're I in every that. day. Yes. Um, and, and, Torn has already done that to some extent, right? Talking to the clients and and having that conversation about missing the meetings. And I think there's more of that that can be done. And I think it comes down to mustering the courage to enter the fray and stay with it in ways that might be uncomfortable for both the coach and the client. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, you know, starting with the less scary uh and more involving of the client, it's it's getting them to understand, like, hey, here's how you're showing up to me. Here's the assessment I'm walking away with as I experience you. Um, and asking them, like, how representative is that of how everybody else at work is experiencing them? So so if you're missing meetings with me, to what extent do you miss meetings with people at work? And what are the stories they're making up um, around that? And what are the implications for you as a leader 
Like, how is that getting in the way of your achieving what you want to achieve? So there's that whole line of, you know, questioning and sharing assessments that we can do as a coach, just kind of calling out the action as we see it and engaging the client to kind of think through, hmm, what are the implications of my showing up this way? So I think there's that. Um, and then I think the more courageous, scarier place to go is kind of leaning right into our gremlins and, and sharing things like, you know, hate your client. You know, when you miss coaching meetings or reschedule or, you know, whatever, right, it makes me wonder whether you're finding value in this work with me. Yeah. Right? Um, that feels incredibly scary. And as we're talking about this now, Kirsten, I have to admit, it's a move I've never personally made. And I think there would be some incredible value in that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I, I just, like, that just lights me up to, to hear you say that. And I think that that would be a really, um, if, if for Torn, that feels like that's um, the, the kind of edge of practice for Torn, um, I think that would be a really bold move and might really, um, might really uh, shift something. Yeah. So I, I, I love that as a suggestion. And, um, and Torn, I, I just, you know, we say thank you to you for, um, for engaging in work that I think in some way every one of us who, who is a coach has had to be in this dialogue with themselves and for doing it out loud here. Or maybe you and Mike, yeah. maybe you and I are doing it out loud for them, but <laughs> but um, oh, and hopefully we're inv- we're we're inviting others to do that work too. And I I, I completely agree with you, Kirsten. I think this letter is um, a really powerful thought prompter for all of us. Yeah, yeah, and and as I think our next letter is um, again on on who we want to be and how do we. How do we show up? So, should we move on to our next letter? Yes, let's. Okay. So, in our second letter, um, another really experienced coach writes about the establishment of professional standards in our coaching work and the questions this raises for our work as coaches and um, for this coach themselves. All right. Dear Coaching Sugars, I was excited to hear that your show would be back on the air this month and was intrigued by the promised theme of being the coach you want to be and compromise. I write to you with excitement and also trepidation about an issue I've struggled with for a couple of years, despite my best efforts to accept and honor, and that's the ICF competencies and markers. I serve as a mentor coach to many coaches in training, and also perform, eva- perform evaluations of competency of coaches. I'm sure you're aware of this, this process the ICF has undergone to bring consistency and legitimacy to our profession by, over the course of several years, rolling out and now adopting new, very specific evidence markers for evaluating the interactions between coaches and clients. I think what the ICF is trying to address is a kind of Wild West landscape in coaching where effectiveness is very much subject to interpretation. 
on one hand, I appreciate the spirit and difficulty of codifying a process that's as intangible and fluid as ours is for coaching. And on the other, I fear that this effort jeopardizes the imagination that's so evident in great coaching and celebrate the paint-by-numbers approach to working with clients. Mm. A recent example comes to mind. I was evaluating the recorded work of a coach seeking the next level of certification. The spirit of that coaching left me uninspired. It lacked spark and spontaneity and real feeling. It did not at all feel like two people engaged in a spirited interaction. This happens only when there's a real connection on a human level. What it did have was a capably executed game plan that took coach and client through most of the elements of good coaching. In removing my biases for the scoring of that coaching session, I had to admit that the coach had capably demonstrated each of the competencies by tending to their markers. It was effective coaching completely bereft of magic. Mm. Now, if I were an attorney or a nurse or other technical practitioner, I know I would appreciate a steadfast approach to protecting the means and methods of my vocation. However, coaching just doesn't seem as well-suited for such an approach. Or perhaps my issue is that the ICF markers don't feel like they're sufficiently broad to capture the artistry of coaching. Mm-hmm. I'm rational enough to know that the coaching industry has reached a scale and maturity that demands codification. I've wondered whether I'm simply grieving the inevitable end of an era. Mm-hmm. I'm open to any and all possibilities, and I really do see the value to legions of coaches and clients. A standardized and uniform process brings an air of legitimacy to the profession. What advice do you have to help me embrace what is new without feeling stifled in my own coaching and in the feedback I offer to newer coaches? Signed, Artiste. <sighs> Artiste. Artiste, we feel you. Um... So, uh, Mike and I were really captivated by this letter, and we both felt like it was um, really important to make space for talking about um, this, which I think we both feel is a really critical issue. And just at a, you know, at a meta level, here's another Here's another letter about the demands and compromises of showing up with integrity to work that you love and that is at the center for you in some way. And um, here is an experienced coach, somebody who offers, I guess, mentoring and evaluation to coaches in training, who has real concerns about the evolving standards of their work. So what is artiste called on and compelled to do? And, um, you know, just for me sort of without get, dropping too much into the weeds here um, around what these competencies and markers are, and you and I both work with them a lot, um, you um, very intimately. Um, the artiste letter dropped me into some of my, um, some of my former work, which is for years I have spent... Um, time training leaders to be able to offer really granular, powerful, evidence-based feedback to teachers 
um, working with um, educational leaders, not just kind of formulaic paint-by-numbers feedback from checklists of competencies. And the purpose of this work was to kind of encourage evaluators and leaders to be able to broaden, literally broaden what they were able to see and hear when they were doing an evaluation. And um, to be able to offer a kind of um, specificity of feedback that also had some narrative arc to it that what had formerly not been available. And we know that the ability to see things actually has a developmental component. Just the developmental place of the seer is reflected in the seeing. So I really see the tremendous value of these competencies for coaches and training. And yet my own personal experience of using the new ICF markers in evaluation is that initially they offered this new kind of specificity and really powerful conversations, and I felt very excited about them. And in practice now... I feel that they can be also very dry and desiccated. And the process can feel kind of textureless and lifeless and without a narrative arc. So I think this is a really, really important question. Beautifully said. Um, we've got about a minute before we go to break here, and I just I so I want to honor what you said. I love this whole notion of um, seeing as a developmental arc, and I think about coaching. That's what we do for leaders, right? We help yeah, them see, right. and seeing is developmental. Um, and so I love the parallel to coaching and coach training. Um, and I'll tell you, my headline on on this whole thing with the ICS competencies and markers is. Um, I think there's room um, in the markers for both the tangible and specific and the textural narrative arc that you mentioned. And so when we get back from break, let's dive into that a little bit, talking about how how can we get what the ICF is going to get out of the markers um, and still achieve, you know, kind of the magic um, in the developmental arc. So join us after the break, and we'll see you then. Markets up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free 866 472 5790. That's 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry, research, and education about the nature and requirements of leadership in the 21st century. 
Our mission is to develop and sustain worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches dedicated to awakening, engaging, and supporting the leadership required in the world today to create a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer four cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching, the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership, the Certificate in Health Coaching, and the Certificate in Facilitation. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education and leadership courses for experienced leadership coaches and leaders at all levels. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. Listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host. So we're Mike uh, McGinley. We are um, Mike McGinley and Kirsten Olson, the Coaching Sugars, and we are deep into. Our second letter from Artiste, um, who is an experienced coach, describing their concerns about some of the new competencies and markers from the International Coaching Federation. And so, Mike, you are just going to talk a little bit about your experiences. I've said a little bit about mine with execution. Let's hear a little bit about your experiences with actually using them. Yeah, and so as a little bit of context, I'm heavily steeped in this process of, of training coaches at Georgetown um, with the use yeah. of the new ICF competencies and markers. Yeah. Um, and so, so much of what was said in this letter um, resonated for me. And I'm going to go back to what I was saying just before the break. I've come to realize um, in the last year or so that there absolutely is room for the markers to serve the purpose as they've been designed, which is let's help. Um, young and developing coaches understand what are the basic fundamental building blocks of successful coaching. So I think they do that exceedingly well. And what I heard is the, um, as the concern in this letter from Artiste was that, yeah, they do that well, but they're limiting the upside, right? Like it's so formulaic that they're limiting the upside. And I actually haven't found that to be the case. And I wanted to talk a little bit about that uh, in hopes that that's helpful. Um, and Great. so that is the headline that I think the, I think the markers can do both. They can enable the magic and they can help, you know, kind of the paint-by-numbers piece of things. And having said that, I think there's execution risk. So I think it's all in how this stuff gets packaged and, um, and delivered and understood and taught and integrated, all of that. And so we've certainly seen that in our program at Georgetown. Um, so I think it's incumbent on us. You know, those of us who are in the position to help newer coaches find find their most powerful coaching voice to apply the markers in a balanced way, right? Yeah. What comes to mind for me as a metaphor is, <laughs> you know, the notion of the, you know ice skating, figure skating when you see that in the Olympics, and with any sport like that or any performance art for that measure, there's typically what's known as the compulsory part of the game. 
right? It's the bare minimum requirements that have to be demonstrated, you know, for the exhibit. Um, and for me, that's like the price of admission. That stuff is necessary and not sufficient. So any skater who limits themselves just to the compulsories or the, the mandatory required stuff, they're not going to do very well in competition, right? They can do the, you know, they're, they're, they're limiting their upside by just focusing on that stuff, but they have to do that stuff. And so the best skaters build off the compulsory platform, and they perform additional incredible moves, and they find ways to demonstrate their magic and their passion and their spirit in ways that are beautiful to watch. And so I think that same um, construct is uh, is available to us in coaching. There's some compulsories, and that's what competencies and the markers have uh, made more more tangible, and I think that's a great thing. But there's nothing about the markers themselves that limits the upside magic to what's possible uh, in beautiful skating or beautiful coaching. And so I think, I think um, overemphasis on, on the compulsories would be a big mistake. And, you know, as educators, we just can't allow that to happen in our, our sport of coaching. So, uh, you know, I love that as a as a metaphor for so many things. And I, um, what I guess I hear artiste saying is that there, there is in some way, artiste is, is experiencing a sense of being limited to the compulsories. What do you think artiste should be doing about that? What do you think, how, how, do, how should artiste be, be considering that as a dilemma? Yeah, I would. I think that our piece then is just putting too much emphasis on the mandatory requirements and not granting enough self permission or other mm-hmm. permission, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. to let their freak flag fly, as it were. Right. So I think it's all in the framing. Um. Uh, Something that you and I uh, talked about as we were considering this letter and um, and how to how to discuss it was that that our early coach training has tremendous influence on our whole lives as um, as coaches. In many ways, we're kind of imprinted like ducklings on some of our first influences. And mm-hmm. you know, in my case, I was trained by. Um, Parker Palmer, who is someone who's very concerned about, you know, the nature of the soul and true self and deeper meaning. And for you, as you described, it's uh, someone who might not have even passed the current set of competencies. And I think that right. both of those are, both of those individuals are extraordinary practitioners, extraordinarily skillful practitioners. And... So I'm, I'm, you know, I think that we're in early days here, and there is a critical piece about um, about having clear, very granular standards for our work, and and also um, and also not in any way limiting or alienating perhaps more advanced practitioners, which artiste may be, um, to bring that 
profound practitioner knowledge to the table. And I guess I'm not sure we're there yet. I hope, I hope we're working towards it, and I hope we're having those conversations. Yeah, I think this conversation we're having right now is that conversation, and I think yeah. it's also representative of lots of conversations that are happening in the teaching space um, at Georgetown and elsewhere. Yeah. Well, I, I guess that's a part of why we felt like it was very important for us to um, open space around this and to acknowledge that our, our work globally and individually is increasingly becoming professionalized and that we all have a voice and should have a voice in looking at what those standards are and how they are cohering with what we feel like is the deepest and most powerful kind of calling of the work and what our own sense of vocation is. Again, that, you know, sort of what are we called to do? What are we called to do when the standards of our profession feel like they may be evolving in ways that are not comfortable for us. How do we stand up and, and make some noise about that, if that's appropriate? Or are we not understanding them appropriately? Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think in this letter from Artiste, there's, there's a clue there. There was a passage about the, in it, the inevitable... Um, passage of time or, you know, things have moved by and maybe I'm not keeping up. The inevitable end of an era was the expression. And what I got from that, I was trying not to project too much, but what I got from that was um, almost... Go ahead and project, honey. Of, <laughs> hmm? Go ahead and project. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe that's my job here is to project. But a sense of, again, self-permission, like, or self-identity crisis, like, well, I had this clear view of who I was, and then conditions, external conditions changed, and that's putting me on um, less stable footing. And so from this place, I don't have as clear a sense of who I am. And, yeah, we c- that can be really unsettling, and it ties together to the first letter from Torn. Um, that same phenomenon can be and could be at play. Yeah. Yeah, just say a little bit more about that. The same phenomenon of sort of what, what is the uh, question, what, what are they, well, how do they need to step right into what is uncomfortable? Well, the same question is, at its most basic, who am I? Yeah. Right? If this, this, and this are true, then who am I? Yeah. And, you know, we know, and everybody who's listening to this knows, that's tough work. It's the real work. It's the gratifying work, and it's tough, long Hard to reconcile work. Yes, it is. And I guess you know, just the last, the last piece, because I think, um, I hope, I hope, Artiste, that we've offered um, some things of value. Um, is there is a sense of devotion to the work here that I, that I value, mm-hmm. and um, that. Um, that craft knowledge developed um, over years is also, again, from my own um, past life, a very 
complex thing to try to codify and um, that there are subtleties there. There's always this tension between rigor and specificity and that which must remain in some way unspecified and um, because it is, it is, you know, kind of um, alchemical and that, you know, a profession can go wildly wrong veering too much in that direction. And on the other hand, over-specification can be um, equally killing. So finding, driving, it's, it's critical that we talk about what we are holding as standards because it influences the work for thousands of people. Perfectly, perfectly said. Um, do you want anything else you want to say to Artiste? Um, I just want to reinforce that I do really think it's about the framing and the interpretation um, and the execution. And so doing whatever work is necessary to integrate this newness into um, what was good and beautiful about the, the previous world, I think, is work worth doing. And I don't think we're at risk of destroying the magic in the work we do as long as we can hold this in the right balance and in the right light. Beautiful. Okay, so we're going to close out here um, with a poem that we both love. Um, And just to say thank you, too, to our listeners who are still with us, And it's a poem about, you know, as you said, Micah, who are you? Feeling your path, your thread. Um, That's kind of what we're about today. What is this nature of vocation uh, and self and the thread that we're following? And it's written by wonderful poet William Stafford um, just a few weeks before he died. And it's called The Way It Is. There's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread, but it's hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen. People get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. Mm. So that's William Stafford, and he wrote that in 1999. Pretty prescient um, that he should know how appropriate that would feel for this show today. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So... Um, again, just as we close out here, a um, huge thanks and gratitude to the Institute for Transformational Leadership for, for giving us kids a chance, and um, to Kate Ebner, our wonderful Kate Ebner, and Izzy Martins, our wonderful Izzy Martins, and, of course, my delightful uh, learning and coaching partner, Mike McGinley. Thank you, and thanks to you, um, especially, Kirsten, for 
um, conceptualizing this whole project and bringing it to light, um, both your thought leadership and spirit leadership and beauty leadership are on display in everything you do. And um, this has been a joy both for me and I think everybody who's had a chance to listen to the show. So thank you. And we'll see you in, in 2017. Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.